0: Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. Hope you guys are all having a great evening. I'm just here with a little bed crime bite. A man named J. Rubin Appleman, who is an author and private investigator, is the only reporter to speak with the father of Idaho student murder survivor Dylan Mortensen. We haven't heard anything from Dylan or from the second survivor, Bethany Funk, so this is very interesting. According to an article in DailyMail.com, it says that Appleman wrote a book called While Idaho Slept, and in an interview with Ashley Banfield to discuss the book, he said that in the beginning, weeks after those homicides, she, meaning Dylan, was basically dogpiled on on social media. Appleman said that vile websleuths had accused Mortensen of being involved with the crimes, while others had called her a drug dealer, among other names. Appleman said, quote, this was part of the trauma that she experienced. Dylan herself has retreated from the public eye. Very few people see her. Mortensen's father expressed to Appleman heartache over his daughter's suffering from brutal cyber bullies, after the trauma she experienced from surviving the November massacre. But apparently Dylan's father also told Appleman that his daughter is in the process of healing despite being hounded by bullies. He said, quote, she's in trauma therapy of sorts, she's getting help from the spiritual community, isolating herself, But she is stepping out a little at a time. She is gaming online with peers in group gaming sessions. She's doing what she can without going into public. Dylan is now 21, and as you probably know, she will be a key witness because she's the person in the home on the night of the attack who told the police that she witnessed a man walk past her bedroom after her friends had lost their lives. Now, Appleman also told Ashley Banfield about a meeting he had with a childhood friend of Brian Koberger's, who said the alleged suspect was mercilessly and relentlessly bullied in high school to the point that he had to listen to screamo music through earbuds to block out the taunting. The friend reportedly rode the bus with him to school every day. Appleman said, quote, This young woman had told me that she wished not to be named, but she told me quite a bit about him. She said that he was bullied almost constantly as a junior high school student as she was. They were both nerds who didn't fit in, she said. They were very close. They sat together on the bus almost every day. Koberger listened to music in his earbuds to block out the bullying, to block out the sort of chaos and darkness of the time period that he was living through, end quote. In his junior year, Koberger would have still been walking around with those extra hundred pounds, and I think we all know how cruel people can be to other people for things like weight, um, how they dress, if they have some sort of physical affliction. So this same female friend of Koberger's said that the administrators of their schools did nothing about the bullying at the time, and Coburger would walk around the halls listening to that screamo music, and at times hip-hop and rap. So this guy Appleman is 25 years old, and he's an Idaho resident, and he lives just a couple of miles from the Mortensen residence which he said may have gotten him in the door, so to speak, literally and figuratively. Appleman said, quote, when I went to speak to her father, you know, I was able to just walk up to his house. Many national news correspondents had tried the same thing. They hadn't gotten very far. He's a rather large, intimidating man. I don't know if that's a part of the reason why why national correspondents couldn't sort of break that wall and talk to him. When he was asked why he was the first reporter Mortensen spoke to, he replied, I don't know if I caught him on the right day or what, but he hadn't spoken to anybody else. He had turned down the New York Times. I had Idaho plates on my car. Maybe that had something to do with it. I've lived here for 25 years almost. I live just a couple of miles from Dylan Mortensen, actually, and a couple of miles in the other direction from her father. I was able to pull up to his house. He answered the door. I told him, as an Idaho guy researching this book, and I don't know if I caught him on the right day or what, but he hadn't spoken to anybody else. He had a very large dog that was watching me very carefully. And I think Brent Mortensen was watching me very carefully, too. He has a lot of reason to distrust reporters. End quote. Dylan Mortenson has been subjected to more than her share of online bullying. I think part of that was that so many people, when they read how much time had passed, between when she saw this masked man walking through the house, to when 911 was called, We're like, what in the world happened? Like, why didn't you call the cops right away? And I'm hoping that if the case does go to trial, that we can get an answer to that question. I think it's a fair question, but I don't think it's okay to attack Dylan and accuse her of all sorts of things, like having to do with drugs. In her case and in Bethany's case, I think the best thing to do is leave them alone and allow the people in court, once this does go to trial, if it goes to trial, allow them to get the answers there. I can't tell you how many true crime shows I've watched where you think you know who the culprit is or was, and you're convinced of it, and then you find out that the most unsuspecting person is the actual perpetrator. And I've heard detectives say that that they've learned to try not to get hyper focused on one person or one lead because then you sort of ignore all the other possibilities. That's all for your bed crime bite. I'll see you tomorrow. Until the next time on Bed Crime Stories.